I'll signal to you when there's only a few slides, so I'll signal when to move on if that's all right. Thanks. Great. Let's find my notes amongst all the notice sheets. Okay, um, so I've just been given the opportunity to speak for about 10 minutes, no more, I promise, um, about what I've been up to um, this last year. Um, but before I start, I just want to say a huge thank you um, to all of you who supported me this year, either financially or in prayer. Um, all the things that I've been involved with and all the things that I've learned um, are because God has provided uh, through you um, this year. So thank you very much for that. Because um, raising the necessary finances required um, to live um, can often be quite difficult for relay workers, which is what I've been. Um, but I never had any problems with this, praise God. Um, but I don't say that to boast, but just to, to highlight your generosity. Um, and it's actually enabled me to be more generous with uh, my money. And I was able to support a couple of people because of your gift, which is really fantastic. Um, so this year, I'll explain what I have actually been doing now. Um, I've been a relay worker with UCCF. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know who UCCF are, um, they are the Christian unions within every university within the UK. They support Christian students in their evangelism on campus um, by providing training, resources and staff to work alongside the students. And then secondly, what is Relay? Um, Relay is what I've been doing and it is a year-long mission and discipleship training programme in the context of a Christian union. And so this year I was working alongside the Christian Union at Keele University, um, which is near Stoke-on-Trent. I've had I've, I've met more than enough people this year who had no idea where Kiel is, um, and thankfully I've, I've learnt by now. Um, but yeah, in the picture you can see all the other people who are doing Relay this year in other universities across the UK and Ireland, and I am in there somewhere, if you look hard enough. Um, but yeah, so there were, I was one of 56 Relay workers this year in, in the UK and Ireland. Um, so Christian unions exist in universities across the UK to share the gospel on campus. That is their purpose, and a large part of my year doing Relay was spent working alongside Kiel CU, pictured there. That this was our weekend away in November. Um, and there are a few main ways in which I supported the CU. So I did a number of one-to-one -one Bible studies with a few guys, uh, with a guy called Joe, who's on the picture there somewhere. We looked at the book of Colossians and the book of Jonah, and then with a, a first year called James, we looked at the book of Colossians again, and then the book of Micah. Um, Colossians is the kind of go-to book for relay workers. It's what they start us off on, um, for whatever reason that is. It's a good book. Um, so that's where I went through Colossians with both uh, of those guys. Um, CUs also have evangelism-focused hall groups. And so often I was involved in leading Bible studies with the hall group leaders. And apart from that, my role was just to support and encourage the Christian Union as they aim to give everyone on their campus the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So to give this opportunity, CU put on a number of events this year. Um, as with many other CUs, they had a number of events during Freshers' Week. And you can see one of the lunchtime talks in the top <laughs> left corner there. Um, they also hosted a carol service for the first time and they had over 300 people um, come along and hear the gospel, which is fantastic, especially for the first time. Um, Kiel also put on uh, a week of events in February, again, as many other CUs do, and they had a really good number of people come along to a range of events. Uh, but one of the most common events that CUs put on is called a lunch bar, 
And this is where a talk is given on a big question like, why would a good God allow suffering? And then they're given a free lunch along with that. And I actually had the opportunity to give one of these talks. Those of you who get my prayer letters would have got a slightly panicky email because I found out quite late saying that I had to give a talk on um, do all roads lead to heaven. Um, no, they don't. Um, but I, that isn't just what I said. I said, I said, I said more than that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, yeah, I gave that talk and um, it was a really good opportunity, but also, as you can imagine, quite challenging as well. Um, but yeah, one of the things that Kiel and many other Christian unions struggle with is following up those who've come to events. Um, often you can have really good responses to events like we had at the carol service, but then you can quite easily lose contact with people um, once they leave, which is a real shame. But the CU ran a couple of Christianity Explored courses um, which were attended by a small group of people. So people do respond to what they hear, which is good. Um, something else I did this year, relay workers are required to help out at another university's events week. So I travelled down to University of Birmingham uh, to help out with their events there. Again, there were some fantastic events right at the centre of the campus with about 200 people coming um, each lunchtime during that week to hear different questions about the Christian faith. And yeah, I find it really encouraging to just to know that in an increasingly secular world, there's still this huge interest uh, in the big questions regarding Jesus, the Bible, the Christian faith. Everyone's looking for answers to something. So a second part of my... So part of my year is working with the Christian Union. Um, a second part of my year was... Um, doing study. So throughout the year, every relay worker in the UK follows a study program consisting of reading certain Christian books, uh, listening to talks, and obviously reading the Bible as well, you'll be glad to know. Um, and in this study, we covered many of the major Christian doctrines, such as the Trinity, the Cross, adoption, the Church, the Holy Spirit, and a number of others. Uh, as well as this, each relay worker does an elective study. And I chose to look at the law and grace, thinking specifically about the relevance of the Old Testament law to us today. Um, and so both aspects of this study have been such a fantastic opportunity for me to gain a greater understanding of the Bible, <laughs> generally. Um, and it's shown me that God's grace is, pr is present at the beginning at Adam and Eve uh, and going all the way to the cross. Grace isn't just something that turns up in the New Testament, um, which is quite good to <laughs> find out. And so, as well as all these other aspects, can, am I in your way a lot? Um, yes, yeah, so as part of this year, as well as this study and working with the CU, I got to go to a lot of conferences, some that were just for relay workers. So we had three conferences uh, with the relay workers um, and others were open to everyone. Like I went to Word Live as well and stewarded there, which is pitched in the top right corner, I think. Uh, the big tent, that you can't, they're quite dark, the pictures, but there are people there, I promise. Um, but yeah, these conferences were fantastic opportunities to receive teaching on such a variety of areas. Um, at the UCCF staff conference in January, we had talks on Ecclesiastes, which was really good, but at times a little bit over my head. Um, and I've meant to re-listen to those talks, but I haven't quite got around to it yet, but I will, because I'm sure they were good. It's just I wasn't. It was a lot to take in at the time. Um, but yeah, as well, at the final conference we had as relay workers, we were looking at 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, which some people might um, see as maybe quite controversial chapters on when Paul writes on spiritual gifts and other things. But through it, we were taught about the unity and the diversity in the church. And I was really encouraged by how exciting the church is and how even more exciting the universal church could be as well. Um, as I've always said, because I was working with UCCF this year, every month we got to have team days where we met with the rest of the relay workers and the staff in the Midlands to receive teaching on a number of topics. 
um, some that were more specialised for university mission uh, and others that were more general teachings. So we had talks on cultural engagement, sanctification, our humanity, and then we had some more specialised subjects such as looking at the differences between mission in older and newer universities. So this year, again, it's been such a good opportunity for me to learn on a whole range um, of topics. And it's just, yes, yeah, such a unique opportunity to get to do it in such a concentrated period of time as well. Uh, but this year has been challenging as well. Many of the things that I've learned require changes in my life. And so it hasn't been about building up head knowledge, I hope. Um, but, but hopefully I'll be able to apply the things I've learned for, for many years. Um, it's been great to be able to spend a year looking in more detail at what the Bible says, to spend a good chunk of time reading Christian literature and to gain a better practical understanding of how to write Bible studies and generally just to learn how to handle the Bible better. And so that is a whistle-stop tour of my year doing Relay. Um, yeah, I'll just let you know what I'm doing next as well. Um, I'll be going back to university um, in September to do a Master's in Media and Public Relations at Leicester, which is where I did my undergraduate degree, and that'll be for a year. But yeah, just to say thank you again um, for supporting me, and thank you for listening to what I've been up to, and feel free to catch me afterwards and ask me any questions. Thanks. We're too early this evening to come. We we have the Stockhills on the top of them still have this forever going tradition of having tea every Sunday night. And um, if Sam and Hannah turned up, which would be nice, there'd be twenty six of us. But uh, but there isn't. And um, but we were just talking, and um, we were talking a bit about legacy. And those of you that know uh, Marjorie and Brian, we were just talking about about their legacy and um, you know this morning their oldest grandson Joel Topham was preaching at Mosaic um, and this evening their second grandson Luke is preaching at Church on the Way and this morning their third grandson Sam was preaching in Shoreline in New Zealand and I knew a lot have got me. Um, <laughs> But it's lovely, isn't it? You know, they would. I think, you know, in a godly way, they, that they, if they were here, they would be deeply proud of that. I think, you know, that um, they had invested, and it is that thought about investing in people's lives. Well, this evening I want to um, talk about a subject that is very dear to my heart. I like Paul, just like to talk about the cross. Um, I think you're usually on solid ground. If you're a preacher and you don't know what to teach on, teach on the cross and you'll be all right. So I want to teach um, about this subject this evening. I don't believe for a minute I'm going to say anything that you've never heard before, um, but it might just confirm some of our thoughts. So to start off, let's read some scripture together. If you've got a Bible, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15... And we're going to read 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42 and 50. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 and 50 begins, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 
So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. When we think about the cross and we think about preaching the gospel, in my mind, I just kind of have two halves of that, really. I think about the problem of sin, and then I think about God's solution. And so when I'm sharing the gospel with people, I'm thinking about those two things. I'm thinking about our problem, our sin, and I'm thinking about God's solution in Christ. Um, and understanding problems is really important. You know, as, um, as a head teacher, when people say, what do you do? As a head teacher, I'd normally say, well, I'd just do nothing. I'd sit in my office and drink coffee all day. What do you think I do? Because that is what most people think head teachers do. And then go off every so often to really important meetings. Um, but actually, a head teacher, as any leader in any organisation, is you're just a problem solver. And actually, that's why I think being a head teacher is a very, very tough job. Because a lot of the problems you have, you can't solve. They're not of your doing. They're not of your making. And yet you are required to to solve them um, and then you when you solve some problems you don't get pat on the back for solving those problems because really you should have been solving different problems but anyway I don't want to <laughs> cry about my role right now you know but um, but it's problem solving and one of the things I talk to my colleagues um, at work about all the time is um, when we look at problems let's analyze them properly because if we don't analyse them properly, we don't get the right solutions. Or what even worse is that we've already decided what the solution is before we know what the problem is. Now, I used to hate this as a, as a young drama teacher. I'd be teaching my class and there'd be a knock on the door. And so we'd say, oh, Mr Stockhill, can we have so-and-so? They need to do some more English. So I'd think, okay, what a shame. Because they're loving my drama lesson right now. I bet they'll love English. Um, and then they'd go... And why, why did they have to leave my drama lesson then and do more English? Well, because the data says they're not doing very well in English. Yeah, but why? Well, they're just not doing very well. And so what's the solution? Well, we'll give them some more English. That's very clever. You know, let's understand the nature of problems before we apply ourselves to solutions. And when it comes to the gospel, we, f we really have to understand the nature of the problem. And those of us that are sharing our faith with, you know, Christian, non-Christian people that we know, our neighbours or our friends or people that we come in contact with, we have a real responsibility to understand our gospel. Um, because if we don't understand our gospel, we are likely to mislead people. So at the heart of the gospel is this one problem, and it's to do with sin. And it's to do with the fact that 
as a human being, we are born sinful. The minute that you take a baby takes its first breath, it's a sinner. It's not waiting for its first sin to make it a sinner. Its first sin is a result of the fact that it is a sinner. You know, we've got Sam's friend Tom and Jen living with us, and they've got this beautiful little baby, Liberty, who's 10 weeks. So it's lovely to have a little baby to cuddle in the house every so often. But I look at her, and I have mixed feelings. I think, oh, she's beautiful, but she's a sinner. You know, and she is. And she was that on the moment that she was born. She became a sinner um, on her first breath. And we do that because in this passage that we've just read, we're told we inherit that nature because we're born of Adam. That's how we are. We don't become sinners. It is not possible for a person to get through their first year or their second year without sinning and still not be a sinner. It just hasn't manifested itself yet. Because we are born Sinners. In 1 Corinthians 15, we've just read that. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So the Bible teaches us that we're born with this problem that we have to deal with because that sin alienates us from God. You know, His nature is holiness, ours isn't. Um, and so that's the problem. And actually, the real knack of effective evangelism, in my opinion, is getting people to understand that problem. <coughs> we panic sometimes because we think that we have to <clears throat> have all the answers as, as Christians. You know, we have to be a Mark Greenwood. We have to be able to full of those amazing apologetic answers. People come to us and say, why does good God allow suffering and that's when we rise to it because we've got to know all the answers and it's no wonder people kind of Christians put their head down and look at the ground and pretend that they've not heard but that's not what our role is our role isn't to have all the answers our role is to create within people the right question that's what evangelism does is that you know ultimately People need to ask the right question. You know, look in Acts chapter 2. You know, that first sermon that was preached, people said, what shall we do? That's the right question. Or in Acts chapter 16, you know, when the, um, Paul and Silas are set free and the, the, the jailkeeper says, you know, how can we then be saved? That's the question that people need to be asking. And the only time that people will ever ask us that question is when they've come to a view about themselves as sinners. Now, we have to be very careful because it isn't that horrible preaching that points the finger at people and tells them how horrible they are. But it is that preaching and that, that talking that gets people to a place where they suddenly discover that they've got a problem. And that's good for me. You know, that's my whole educational philosophy is based on that. That the minute that you acknowledge where you're at growth is is possible you know i don't mind in my school if a kid says i'm rubbish at maths you get hammered if you say that in other schools you can say it in my school as long as you say i'm rubbish at maths now because if i look at your maths book i might have to agree with you 
Look at your maths book. I might have to say to you, and I'm not going to play a silly self-esteem game by looking at, at really poor work and go, no, but really, you're amazing. No, do you know what? I agree with you right now. You're not very good at maths, but let's have a plan and let's find a way that we can help you get better because you can, because you can grow and you can get better. But the starting point is always the truth. And the starting point for us in our relationship with God is always the truth. What's the truth? I was born a sinner and I need to deal with something about it. And we know that that sin causes us difficulty with God. In Ezekiel 18, it says, The soul who sins shall die. And so we have this this problem. And what's worse is that at some point in our life, at the end of our life, we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll have to deal with that sin. So I think that the key thing about preaching the the cross is, is at the heart understanding that by nature of us being human beings we're born sinful the sinful deeds that we do are an expression of our sinfulness um, and we need a solution now you can spend all your life looking for that solution but the bible tells you what it is and i i kind of sometimes um conceive of the the solution, you know, if you, because I'm a drama teacher by training, I quite like Greek myths and stuff, and I can see the gospel expressed in a Greek myth. You know, that somebody goes to the oracle, or in Pocahontas, a talking tree, or whatever it is, and you say, I am a sinner, I need to deal with my sin. And this really wise voice speaks back and says, well done, my son. You are on the way to salvation. Because to recognise it is exactly that. But then, what do we need to do? Well, the oracle says, there are three things you need to do. First of all, you need to find a man who has not sinned. Secondly, you need to ask that man to lay down his life for you. That perfect man. And then thirdly, you have to ask that man to take his shed blood to God as a substitute for your sin. That's what you need to do. That's what the gospel is. It's quite simple. Just find the perfect man. Go and then ask him if he'll lay down his life for you. And if he will, (coughs) collect up his blood and take it to God and ask him, if he will accept that as a sacrifice. Well, where do you find a man who's not sinned? We've already said that the the problem with all of us is that by nature of us being born, we're sinful. I mean, if you think about it, that excludes every single person that has ever lived or that ever will live. If we are sinful, not because you know, a sinful deed makes us a sinner. If we are sinful because we are born in sin and born sinful, we're done. Because there is no person that has been born that fits that criteria. Because we're all born sinful. 
So where would you find somebody born who does not inherit a sinful nature? Well, I tell you, you'll only ever find it in one person, and that's in Jesus. Because his birth is the one miraculous birth that has ever happened on the earth where God placed a seed of his inside a woman, Mary, and he was born a man, but born without a sinful nature. That is quite remarkable. You know, that's why when people say, oh, the virgin birth doesn't really, don't really matter all that much. It's like, really? Would you like to reconsider no, we hear it in the church regularly where people say, well, I won't fall out with somebody who doesn't believe in the virgin birth, wouldn't you? I think I would. Nicely. Because without the virgin birth, we do not have the potential of a perfect man living on earth. So the virgin birth of Jesus... The impregnation of this woman with God's seed is absolutely at the heart. And it makes Jesus different than any other person that has ever lived or will ever live. You know, we are the result, and even with, you know, artificial insemination, all that stuff that's going on, we're still the result of earthly parents. But Jesus' parent was God. And he is remarkable. And in that respect, <clears throat> it makes the searching simple. Because stop looking for a saviour in any single person other than Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, it tells us that he was without sin. In, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathise with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 we read, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, this strategy of God's is absolutely crucial. Because if the criteria is that sin is dealt with, by the death of a perfect man, then we're all doomed unless God does something different. And in Christ he did, and in his birth he did. And Jesus does not have the same nature as we do. He was born without sin, but more remarkably, he suffered the same temptations and lived a life without sin. You know, and that's such a crucial thing. And that's something that really does, I think, exercise a lot of people. I've said it in the past, but one of the things I... I'm one of these that when I'm singing the song, I do look at the words. And if I don't agree with them, I stop singing them because I'm not going to sing something I don't agree with. So I get to Away in a Manger and I stop on that stuff about, you know... The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Uh, I just think it's a nonsense line. What's the problem with Jesus crying? Well, presumably, most babies cry out of selfishness, don't they? Most babies cry because mums have forgotten to feed them. 
Oh, they've forgotten to change the nappies. And the thought of Jesus doing that is just shocking. So he'd never cried according to the Christmas carol. But I know that what underneath it all, what they're trying to do is they're trying to deal with, you know, the whole perfection of Jesus. But Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. But more than that, he had exactly the same temptations as you and I. And never once on any single occasion in the 30 odd years of his life did he ever succumb once. That's unbelievable. And that's Jesus, our perfect sacrifice, born in perfection, living in perfection. So there is at least one person that can meet the criteria of the perfect man. But what's quite remarkable is that it's part of God's plan. He gave us that man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only... God gave Jesus to us. This isn't the Greek oracle where from, from the cave we then have to start scouring the whole earth for a perfect man on our behalf. God's already done that. He's already provided him for us. I love that verse in Genesis chapter two, 22, verse 8, where Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, and he says to him, and Abraham said, my son, God, will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. That's exactly it. God will provide for himself. You know, he isn't asking you to scour the earth for a perfect man. He's provided him. His name is Jesus. He was born in perfection, lived in perfection, and even in the moment of his death, with all the realm of hell around him, enticing him to sin or to think badly or to do badly, on no occasion did Jesus succumb to that temptation. And he stands the perfect man. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about how, how hard it is for God to provide a perfect man and keep him perfect for 30-odd years. But in Jesus, he did. So we're not searching for that one. We've found him. He, exhausts, he exists. So, we have the perfect man. That's part one. All we've got to do now is to convince him to lay down his life for us, to shed his blood. Um, that's all we have to do. But it is crucial. You know, throughout the whole of the Old Testament, God lays down that his, this is his method. And if you think about the story of Cain and Abel that many of you will know, that really does illustrate the, the centrality of blood. You know, and it is hard for both Cain and Abel because both of them bring a sacrifice to God. If you look at Genesis chapter 4 and verse 2 to 5, we see this principle that only blood will do. So in Genesis chapter 4, verse 2 to 5, it says, Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. 
And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And it is quite hard, isn't it? You know, you've got these two brothers. One of them looks after animals. One of them tills the ground. And it may well be that in good conscience, both of these people brought a sacrifice to God for their sin. You know, I think that maybe both of them, you know, let's assume that both of them had good hearts and that they did the right thing, that both of them brought to God. It must have been such... um, a slap in the face, at least that's how Cain saw it, when his sacrifice of what he'd, he'd tilled in the ground, what he'd worked hard for, wasn't acceptable to God. And maybe he even thought, it's ridiculous, you know, I've, I sweat every single day, <clears throat> tilling the ground, bringing all these things, you know, to fruition. I take some of it and offer it to God, and he's not interested, as opposed to my brother, who sits under a tree, sleeps a bit, watches sheep every so often, maybe has a little battle, battle with a bear or a lion every so often, and he brings blood to God, and God accepts it. And I'm working my socks off, sweating every single day, and God doesn't accept. And it's like, it's not about your kind of intentions. It's simply this. That God is only interested in blood when it comes to sacrifice for sin. That's all it is. So you don't have to get upset. Because <coughs> actually, the shedding of my animal's blood would have covered you as well if you'd have asked. That's all you had to do. It's just come up to me and say, by the way, we're going to make a sacrifice for sin. Um, but obviously, you know, a bowl of carrots ain't going to work for God on this occasion. Um, but you've got blood. Well, that's fine. Have Share my blood. You know, because it's only blood that matters, nothing else. And it's really important because, you know, the real tragedy with so many people, and it's been, you know, in the time that I've been at One in a Million, I've spent a lot of time talking to Muslim colleagues, and it is really interesting, and I get really worried when they sort of say, oh, you know, our faiths are so similar, and I think, what am I saying? that is leading you to that conclusion. Um, You know, because I don't want you to come to that conclusion. Um, I want you to come to the conclusion that you've got a problem with sin, that you have to find the perfect man, and then you have to ask that perfect man to shed his blood for you. And he already has. And in that respect, there is that only route. There is an alternative. You know, all routes, as you rightly say, don't lead to heaven. I mean, the nonsensical thing, that if life is a mountain and God is at the top and there are hundreds of roots and Jesus and God thought, you know what, I'll just kill my son to give an alternative route, just to bring a bit of balance, to bring an alternative, so that if you don't fancy the Sikh route or the Muslim route or the Mormon route or whatever, well, just let's add to the, the roots. And let's create a Christian route just so that those people that are inclined towards that faith might wander up. That's nonsense. 
Jesus said, I'm the word, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There isn't a single route. There is an alternative route. You know, some of those alternative religions might provide some people with some kind of moral compass to live their lives. But they don't offer a way to Christ. That's why Jesus died. Not to be in an alternative, not to be in an additional route, not to be in another pathway, but to be the only pathway. Because he knew that sin is only dealt with by the sacrificial blood from a perfect man. And Jesus knew that. You know, he, he talks about, Father, if you could take this cup away from me, please do. But Jesus knew full well. Had God have done that, we would have been lost. All of us would have been lost. So, you don't have to search for the perfect man. God has provided for him. You don't have to ask him to lay down his life for you because he's already done it on the cross 2,000 years ago. And in shedding his blood, he was the one that took it to the Father. If you go back and look at the tabernacle, when the high priest took the blood into the Holy of Holies, once a year, and it was a covering. It, that, the, the shedding of blood, of an animal's blood, could not deal with sin. Only the blood of Jesus could deal with that. So all that time those people were going to the tabernacle, they were waiting for another. But all it did is it covered over their sins. All it said is, for this year, I will not deal with you according to your sins. I'll accept the blood because that blood is pointing to the blood of a man that's yet to come. So nobody had their sins forgiven through the high priest going into the Holy of Holies. It just got covered over for another year. And that high priest would take his blood into the Holy of Holies, that little cube tent where only he would go once a year and sprinkle the blood. And you can imagine the scene. He had all these sort of tassels and bells on his tunic so that people could hear him move you know and they had a rope around his ankle so that if for any reason God did not accept that blood and the bells stopped ringing and people said God has struck down the high priest they would pull him by the ankle and yank him out of the holy of holies don't know if it ever happened the bible never records whether it did or not but that was the thing. Listen out for the bells. And if the bells stop, we're in trouble. Well, I don't know what your theology of the three days when Jesus was in the tomb, but I'll tell you mine. I believe that first of all, when Jesus died on the cross and went into the, the tomb, my view is this, is that spiritually Jesus took his blood to his father. That was the journey he went first. So he went into heaven. And that would be right, wouldn't it? Because that's what the high priest did. The high priest went into heaven, into the Holy of Holies. And I believe that when Jesus died, that's exactly what he did. And I think it's almost the same moment as in the tabernacle. You can imagine Jesus walking into heaven, closing the door in heaven, and this moment where he sheds his blood and says, Father, this blood is for the whole world and the whole of heaven would be hushed. They've been listening for the bells. 
They've been looking for the rope around his ankle. Is somebody going to yank him out of God's presence? But he didn't because you see the blood is always for God first. We're the beneficiaries of the blood of Jesus. But we are not first and foremost what Jesus had in mind. When he shed his blood, he was thinking about his father and he was thinking about his gift for him. And he died and he went to heaven and he took it and heaven. And I can imagine all the angels all with their ears against the door and then jumping out when... But then what a celebration when Jesus came out. That's why the resurrection is so important for us. Because Jesus shed his blood, presented it to his father and his father said, it is acceptable. I will take that as the sacrifice for the whole of mankind. Everyone that's ever died, everyone that ever will die, Jesus, your blood is enough. I think heaven would have just erupted and said, wow. And that's why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. What? He went in as the high priest with his blood and presented to his father and his father let him live. Yes, he did. And he's alive for us today. And that's why we need to be excited because this perfect man laid down his life for us, took his blood to the Father, then Peter tells us that he went to hell, but how could he go to hell and release people? How could he do that? Because he knew that his blood had paid the price and God accepted it. And so the first thing, and when, when Satan's there and Satan's like, no, you can't have these, and Jesus says, I can because God has accepted my blood as a sacrifice for all. And the Bible tells us that people came alive and were set free for the first time ever because of the blood of Jesus. So when people say the virgin birth isn't all that important, it really is. When people say the resurrection of Jesus isn't all that important, it's like, what? It's not important. It's important to me because I know that I'm going to heaven because I'm banking everything on the blood of Jesus. But I know that God accepted it. It's not a risk for me right now. Will the blood of Christ avail for me? It has. Because Jesus has come alive and he's confirmed that the blood is enough. Well, that's, that's the cross. Look for a perfect man, you found it in Jesus. Ask him to shed his blood for you, he has. But do you know what? If you found me, hey, I'm not perfect, I'm unlikely to shed my blood for you, to be honest. Um, but if I did, you'd be gutted when you took it to heaven and God looked at it and said, that's Jez's. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. In fact, it might tickle God a bit. What you think Jesus' blood is going to... You know, come on. Um, but Jesus' blood is enough and we stand in that place. Now, I haven't got time to, to talk next, but the, the exciting thing from here on is that God is not just interested in forgiving sins. He's interested in people stopping sinning. And when he saves you, and gives you, pours out his blood, he has a method, and he changes your heart, and he transforms your heart, so that, yeah, do you know what? Every time you sin, God will forgive you your, your sin. But his plan is this. 
He wants to work by transforming your heart and transforming your inclinations so that as you walk in Christ and grow in Christ, you sin less. And if you are growing older in the faith, this is a really tough test, but you have to ask yourself, are you sinning less than you did? Well, to be honest, Jez, not really, but you know that's because I'm growing in holiness and I'm more aware of sin. No. God's intention is that you sin less. The blood is always in the back. It's always a backstop. It will always forgive you. But now that he's saved, his intention is to sanctify you and make you holy so that you're like Jesus. Um, well, that's the cross. But it is exciting, isn't it, to know that, you know, the thought, can you imagine spending your life looking to find the perfect man and getting to the end of your life and not discovering it? Can you imagine finding the perfect man and trying to convince him to lay down his life for you? Can you imagine convincing him to lay down his life for you and then taking the risk that when he takes his blood to heaven it will be acceptable but it's all been done God has provided God gave his son he laid down his life willingly for you and I he took his blood and the resurrection of Jesus is all the affirmation that we'll ever need that there is no risk in the blood of Christ it is 110% secure for our salvation. Thank you.